0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: From 104.7 LP Hillsborough, this is She and Her.
2: I'm Sandra Davidson. And I'm Anita Rao. If you're with us for the first time, She and Her is a talk and music show for millennial women where no subject is off limits. We want to hear from you and talk about the things that y'all want to talk about. If you've been with us since the beginning, then welcome back. We are
1: so excited to be with our fourth episode tonight, and we're grateful for all the positive feedback
2: and encouragement we've gotten from friends and fans along the way. So on today's episode, we're going to spend the full hour with Jessamine Stanley. She's a yoga teacher, writer, and self-described fat femme who's taken the internet by storm in the past year. It all started when she began posting photos of herself doing yoga on Instagram to get tips about alignment and posture in various poses. But she quickly got messages that were far from tips or advice. Things like, wow, I didn't know a fat girl could do that kind of pose. So despite the negative
1: commentary, Jessamine continued to practice yoga and post photos of her work. And this eventually began a new chapter of her life, one in which she's become a leader in the body positive movement, both on and off the yoga mat. When students are in her yoga class, she encourages them to ask themselves, how do I feel instead of how do I look? She's taken her own story out into the world and has been featured on programs ranging from Al Jazeera to Good Morning America. She offers a Fresh perspective on fat shaming body image in all things feminist. Jessamine Stanley is currently based in Durham. But joins us tonight here in the studio, Jasmine Stanley. Welcome to She and Her. Hey y'all, how are y'all doing?
3: I'm, I'm very excited to be <laughs> here. We're, we're <laughs> so excited. <laughs> there are so few like truly feminist out like, outlets, especially radio outlets. So I'm really, really stoked to be here and talking to you guys, and that this is in Hillsboro. It's I an know. awesome representation of the state. So we could cool. not
1: be happier to have you here. Well, I'm
3: happy to be here.
1: So let's just start. And why don't you speak a little bit about this last year? What does it feel like to become an internet sensation you know honestly it feels
3: essentially the same as as my life was before I feel like you know it's a really beautiful thing to be able to interact with people who are in places in their lives that feel dark but that I have also been in and so this year has been really monumental for me and being able to interact with so many people that even though they're in different parts of the country or like are in different stages in their lives we all have this understand like We all have this thread that runs between us of needing a deeper connection to something else. So, I mean, to know that I can communicate with other people through the practice of yoga has been incredible for me. It's been a very, very I mean, it's obviously kind of weird because there's this like media aspect to it as well, where I like have to. I don't know. There's some weirdness to it. But overall, it's been a really, really beautiful experience. Just being able to see what yoga can be for other people. It's been pretty crazy. I mean, well, whatever. I could ramble about this in a a lot of different ways. Well, the thing that's crazy to
2: me every time I think about your story is that this all happened by accident.
3: Like you didn't set out to become an internet phenomenon. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) No, not at all. And I think that that's probably the thing that is the, the weirdest for me overall. It's why, like... I still feel like I'm just the same, you know, like I I started doing this because I wanted to track my alignment. And I noticed that there were a lot of people who saw me and they were like, wow, I didn't know that this thing existed. I didn't know What, what what's bigger than that is people who are like, I didn't know that I could do that until I saw you. And then I was like, wow, I guess I should be showing more of this. And so it's always just been me documenting my life, documenting my practice. It's not like I was, you know, trying to inspire people or anything like that but I think that that's what inspiration is it's when someone kind of takes control of their life and they live in a certain way that's inspirational to people I think it's kind of weird to be like I'm going to inspire people by <laughs> posting photos on the internet. You know, <laughs> Which you that's see sketchy. a lot of on Instagram. Which you see, exactly. And it's something that is a very different starting point. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of, and it's why I kind of have some weirdness about all of this as well, because I think that yoga is a very, very private thing. And it, t- it kind of takes it into a weird context when you photograph it and when you uh, put it on display for other people. And I have a lot of, internal dialogue about whether or not it is helpful in a larger sense just because I think that people become way too focused on um, what, it, what it looks like like what a, um, what a headstand looks like what a forearm stand looks like whatever it's not really about the journey to get there and so I have a lot of internal struggle with that about whether or not this is good in the long term but I just really think that especially for people who have different bodies than what is typically shown as beautiful I think it's really, really important for them to see someone who is genuinely comfortable with themselves and who even in that comfort has days, has ups and downs, but doesn't feel as though they're not on the same level as just anyone else. Sure. So one of my questions for you Mm -hmm. is, how did you get to that
1: point? So I, from what I understand, (laughs) you weren't, always at that point and I know I I would be really curious to hear how your actual thoughts Mm -hmm. change because I can actually pinpoint a a time I've told Anita about this about a year ago where one morning I woke up and I was just like I'm really tired of just thinking about how I look and Mm -hmm. you know what my weight is or whatever and Mm -hmm. it just I just decided one day that I just
3: didn't want to spend my energy doing that anymore. It's just such a waste of time but it's hard to see that when you're just so deeply embedded in the society that we live in. I mean I spent my entire life being literally just like anyone else. I I mean especially just like any other fat girl. I was like very uncomfortable in my own skin. I tried to lose weight so many different ways like weight watchers multiple times. I would go to the gym for period like you know like how you get really into going to the gym for like six to eight months and then you stop for a few months and then you gain back whatever weight You lost. I did that over and over and over again. And, um, but by the time I started practicing yoga, I was so far beyond that because I was just really depressed in my life. Mm-hmm. I had reached a point, And the more that I've talked about this, the more that I realized it just sounds like a Southern episode of girls. So I'm kind of mad about it, but <laughs> it's like, I'm, I was just really at a place where I'd lost all connection with my graduate program. I'd lost all, like I was in a relationship that had been a huge part of my life that was ending. And I was just I was lost, mm-hmm. and um, and I started practicing yoga, and it just grounded me in such a way that I was able to pull away from all of these other things that I thought were distracting me. But I realized there was all these internal distractions. So you know, like you're realizing this, and and I changed locations, I moved to Durham, and I'm doing have a completely different life, and then I just started realizing that there were all these other ways that I was still holding myself back, like just in the way that I presented my body, like in wanting to hide certain aspects of it. That's a huge thing, especially. With fat women, you have parts of your body where you're like, I can't show this. You know, it's, it happens a lot in the arms, in the thighs. You're like, I have to show, I have to cover these things at all time. And so in practicing asana and photographing it and putting it on the Internet, I was really forced to stare at my body like that. I would say that that is probably the thing that made the biggest difference for me overall because if you don't look at yourself I mean it's easy when you like look in the mirror to be like I'm not about that and then you walk away from the mirror or you hide the mirror or you just avoid them entirely it's very 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 common thing and um, and I just got to this place where I had to stare at it because a photo doesn't go away you know like you look at it and then you think wow I'm in this pose that is so, it's requiring so much of me. I remember that feeling of what it took to get there. How is it possible that I hate my stomach, that I hate my arms, that I hate my thighs when they're obviously really, really strong and awesome? Mm. And so it's this thing where you confront yourself, you make yourself stare at the things that you think are holding you back and then you realize that it's just that thought that's holding you back, that actually your body is awesome. But this is like a very long process. You know, it's not, I, I don't think that I had a moment where, or like a day where I was just like, man. I mean, because I've definitely had days where I was like, I'm going to feel good today. But then I still have days where I'm like, I don't feel like great today. But it's just kind of an overall shift over time where you reprioritize things and you think that I'm actually really, really strong. I'm actually really awesome. Why am I making myself feel bad about that? Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. yeah well, please. I was just going to say, I mean,
2: you talked about what the photo
3: does. And
2: mm-hmm. one thing Sandra and I were thinking a lot about is Instagram in particular as a vehicle is really interesting because a lot of mm-hmm. the lifestyle accounts we see on Instagram are very homogenous. They're mostly white women. They're mostly oh, yeah. white women of a particular body type, displaying mm-hmm. a particular meaning of what it means to be fit, what it means mm-hmm. to be healthy. What so it means to be happy. What it means to be happy. Exactly. exactly yeah. The curated Desiring. life. Totally. So, so mm-hmm. why, why Instagram is a platform and what do you think that choosing that platform
3: in itself does for this tree work? Instagram is, it's like probably the perfect social media outlet because our society, especially this like millennial society or millennial generation is so image heavy. Like everything is just like you need to be able to look at it and get whatever you need from it in that one picture so that even if you don't read the caption that goes below, you still get so much just from one picture. And I think that To me, if that's the easiest way to communicate with people, then that's what that's what I want to do. And so you're capturing these snapshots of life that people can find in their own lives, even if they don't see that exact like. Line up that exact matchup, then they see themselves in it. But if you give them a picture that is actually pretty close to what they see on a day to day basis, it's not just like bright sunlight, green grass, blue skies, (laughs) you know, like all this stuff that even if it happens, you know, some days, it's not happening every day. And, and, you know, maybe you have days where like maybe you're, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I just feel like everyone wants to see something that actually looks real that actually looks like it can be found in their lives and that to me is why Instagram is the perfect way to show them that to show them that (laughs) even in just this moment I'm just like you.
1: My, my friend, Cameron, yeah. who did the theme music for this show, always says, you know, those accounts where you see like the perfect room. She's mm-hmm. like, where's the water glass on that table? Like, <laughs> Seriously. where are the
3: phone cords? You know, I always <laughs> think that. I mean, especially I see it all the time. And um, it's really bad in yoga photos because, I mean, even in these like when, when you see bodies that are kind of different, it's still just like everything is so perfect. You know, there's no journey in that. You're not seeing the moment. The, you don't see the moment before they got into the pose and you don't see the moment after you don't see any of the work all you see is just this it's so beautiful and to me that's kind of it's worthless you know Mm -hmm. it's what is beauty without the story behind it what is like what is truth without the journey it's just I think that there's so much more that can be conveyed and and the funny thing is, the people who show these unrealistic uh, expectations, who create these rooms without water glasses, who create these you know, perfect yoga poses, their lives aren't like that, you know. And they don't, they don't actually. Um, I don't even really think that they expect other people to live up to that standard. It's just kind of like we're all creating this fake world. And then we live in the real world and there's, I don't know, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. So there's a lot of, you know, projection and reading
1: on those types of accounts. Mm -hmm. And another type of reading that Anita and I are always talking about is how women read each other's bodies. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if you see this a lot in your yoga class. You know, you look at a woman, you consider her body and you place
3: it in conversation with yours absolutely I mean it's just projection 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 it's like so one of the main questions that I'm asked by people is like what's going to happen if I go to a yoga class and I'm the fattest person in the room or like if people stare at me or or if I can't do what other people are doing and I'm like Those things are just going to (laughs) happen. Like Mm -hmm. You have to accept that that's going to happen. And you see it in the class when people come in and they see it. The girl next to them is doing something that maybe it's like a particularly slender woman and she's practicing in such a way that it makes the other person feel bad about themselves. And then they leave the class and they're like, man, that wasn't for me. You know, I'm just not strong enough. I'm just not blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. I hope you understand that all of that came from you. Like you didn't have Mm -hmm. a conversation with this woman where she said there's something wrong with your body. You need to feel bad about yourself. I mean, it's just like constant projection, 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 trying to blame things on other people as opposed to taking the blame for yourself. And that so much of like my personal mission, just like with my clients, is trying to help you redirect that blame so that if you're not. It's not necessarily about blaming yourself. It's just about accepting the role that you have in your own destiny. And that if you believe something, it will be that. Hmm. But if you stop projecting your dissatisfaction on other people, then that'll stop. But then it's kind of a two-way street, too, because in that same environment, um, you do get people who... Like maybe that other woman is projecting something onto you that's Mm. making you feel bad. You know, it's this it's this two way street and women do it. I think that men do it a lot and it doesn't get as much um, notoriety, but women do it to a point where it's like it's so uh, it's it's repugnant because it filters (laughs) into our daughters and it filters into schools and it turns into this like this uh, atmosphere where. No one is comfortable with themselves. No one. There's no perfect. It's just like we're all just sitting around here being unhappy about things. It's, it's well, really, so that really leads
2: sad. me to a question that one of our listeners sent in about sort of the role of the teacher in a yoga class. So when mm-hmm. you're, you, do you, if you witness this kind of thing or even if you're just trying to sort of project that you want this to be a positive space, um, how do you do that? So what she said exactly was mm-hmm. I think it's common in certain studios to say during class – to practice wherever your body is that day, or don't push past your edge. And I say that and I mean it, but I don't think it quite speaks to body positivity in as nuanced a way as I'd like. So how? what are some concrete ways that yoga teachers of all shapes and sizes can intentionally create body positive class environments with or without specifically naming it. So what do you do? How do you encourage I'm, other teachers to do that? I'm so that space? glad that this
3: came up because to me this is the heart of body positivity. A lot of mm-hmm. people hear body positivity and they think it's like related to size specifically or related to like one specific feature, but really it's in the way that we communicate with ourselves about uh, communicate with ourselves and with other people. And so mm-hmm. much of it comes back to how the teacher interacts with their own body how it interacts with their students and then in the language that we use throughout the class it's more than just the like the initial statement that you make it's in the way that you adjust people if you're over assisting people i feel like i see that more than anything mm-hmm. the thing am sorry i have so much to say about this no, I'm, losing, <laughs> I'm losing i'm losing my breath because um you know As a teacher, you always want to be like really intimate with the student and helping them in and out of poses. And and there's this need to just like put your hands on people. And that can be really intimidating, very emotionally intimidating to a student, especially to someone who already has a lot of body issues. So I honestly steer away from adjusting in general. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that if you have a actual point to make where you are going to help someone experience the pose in a way that they were not going to experience it otherwise. And maybe it's just, you know, like helping them jet their knee further out or just realigning a foot. That's fine. But I think that whenever you like just get too intimate with students that it's just, it's it's distracting for them. And then they're they're just thinking about it way too much. So that would be my first suggestion is just to sort of pull back on that. I think it also has to do with just the way that you talk about the poses, the kind of dialogue that you use, um, maybe not necessarily making it completely anatomical so that because sometimes people don't really know what that means. And then it makes them feel stupid or makes them feel like they should know. And then if they can't quite make the connection, then they feel like, you know, I mean, there's just this whole psychological thing that's going on with the student. And I feel like the reason that I have that feeling about it is that I didn't really come up going to a lot of live classes because I felt discrimination from teachers Mm -hmm. and it's because of just these little things you know no one intends to discriminate against their students and you think that by making like a blanket statement then that that's the be all end all but I think there are a lot of little just little adjustments that you can make to the way that you talk about the poses the way that you adjust people and the way that you are with your own body. Because I always... Part of my disclaimer is that, well, A, there's never going to be that person in the room who doesn't feel like they can't be in the room because I'm here. I have my belly out. It's happening and it's fine. And that um, people come in, they're like, I'm afraid I'm going to fart. I'm afraid I'm going to fall. And I Mm -hmm. practice with people so that they see me. That's usually like my go-to move if I need to an adjustment that needs to be made. But I really think that the person can make it themselves. I go right next to them and do it with them because there's a camaraderie feeling where it's like, man, we're in this together like I get this I've been where you are just build it from the bottom up and when you're there next to them and they feel that camaraderie it creates a completely different environment it's very different from like teacher student you know what I mean mm-hmm. so those would be my suggestions
1: so one of our our listeners Lizzie Graham who's a yoga instructor in New York mm-hmm. she wrote in and wanted you to speak a little bit about where you how you got to such a positive relationship with your body which you've already done mm-hmm. but the other thing that she asked about is Do you feel like your weight ever bumped up against holistic health values that yoga Uh, often promotes
3: and that sort of thing? Mm. No, but I think that other people have felt that on my behalf. Hmm. Um, Oh, trying to think of where to start with this. Um, I think that. I mean, it kind of goes back to the eight limb path of yoga and how one of the limbs of yoga, one of the offshoots of it is this idea of ahimsa, which is nonviolence. And a lot of people translate that to mean um, eating, uh, eating a diet that is either vegan or vegetarian and then um, making other alterations to your diet, which would then ultimately make you a smaller person. That plus asana practice, plus all of the other steps would then lead to that body type. But That is such an antiquated idea that I can't even I don't even think I need to go into how ridiculous it is. And then especially if you consider just the the society, the societal impact that has that comes on Western people that is just not present in ancient um, in ancient yoga practice. And I think that this also comes down to something that is really important to me is the distinction between Eastern and Western yoga. And it really bothers me whenever people try to like make it seem as though they're all the same because it's not, you know, we're living in a society where, and not to pull the race card, but African-American people, especially um, like of a certain social class, there are things that happen like, the kind of foods that you eat as a child are just different, you know? And I mean, I think that that can be said for a lot of different groups, a lot of different kinds of people, so that whenever you get to adulthood, the way that your body is, it's just going to be different. These are things that are not written down in the eight limb path of yoga, you know, (laughs) like it's just not there. But that doesn't mean that my yoga practice is invalid because of what my body looks like because of society. You know what I mean? So I think that I have never felt that because I do not associate being slender or having that as a goal with like the ultimate purpose of the yogic path to yeah. me. They're To me, they are completely separate things.
2: And it's that whole, you know, fat doesn't equal
3: not healthy mm-hmm. debate, right? Oh, <laughs> I just, you know there's such a misconception about what it means to be fat people think because weight is like the most successful smear campaign of all time like the medical profession will agree society agrees if you're fat you're not healthy you're a bad person all these things are just attached to each other but it's like just take the chance to think something different think that maybe maybe being fat doesn't mean you're unhealthy Maybe it doesn't. And then when you actually start to break it down, you see, okay, so this is the example I always use. I have students, most of my students are a lot smaller than I am. So that um, like, let's say that one student in particular whose name I'm not gonna use or even pretend to get to, but let's say that she and I are standing next to each other. She's a lot smaller than me. Um, if you saw us, you would think that she was the yoga teacher and not me. This person also smokes multiple packs of cigarettes a day does not eat a particularly healthy diet, doesn't really pay attention to their health at all. And it's like, you know, this person is unhealthy, you know? And then it's like, if we're going to use these same scales, you, you just have to think that it's not necessarily about body size. It's just about... There's a million different factors that contribute to whether or not a person is healthy. And I also think that whenever you do something athletic and you're fat, that there's all of these rules that you have to be the healthiest person on top of that. So it's like, I can't then admit to eating cheese fries or cheeseburgers, which I do, because other people do. because shame, <laughs> do. for shame. Do, for you know? shame I know, right? Teacher, I should really. feel bad. <laughs> but I don't. You know, I feel like, and that's yoga to me. You know, it's about finding that balance. And I think that people who, who really practice and who really care about it understand that and then people who don't don't and i'm not bothered by people who have different opinions than that because you know that that is literally what yoga is it's about balance
2: all right we can talk about this forever but oh, we, yeah. we got to take a break <laughs> so we can talk pop culture serena williams beyonce and minaj we'll be back in just a second so stay tuned
1: All right, welcome back. We are stepping out of the realm of yoga with Jessamine Stanley and into the world of pop culture. Uh, We want to talk about race in the body as it relates to the music industry and also athletics. We'd like to
3: begin with Serena Williams. I'm a huge Serena fan, first of all. Um, I mean, as a black woman, it is unbelievably helpful to me like inspirational to see someone who is actually shaped like a black woman you know, like someone who is bottom heavy top heavy but also amazonian you know and who doesn't feel as though she needs to compromise or change or anything but she's so fit you know what i mean and there's like one of my and this is also kind of going into later topics about feminism but i feel like a lot of um A lot of women have their bodies both I mean they're just exoticized to the point where you feel like you can't hang on to who you actually are and still be you know still be a strong person that if you show parts of your body or that if you like have these things that have been so deeply sexualized and so like taken out of your hands that it it just feels like your body doesn't belong to you but I mean she like flies in the face of that all these people do and I mean, especially in the athletic realm where, you know, thin is athletic. that That's the image that people have. And she's completely the opposite of that. I mean, I think she's incredible. So one of the pieces that
2: we were really struck by um, that came out on the eve of her Wimbledon finals, a New York Times piece called "Tennis's Top Women Balance Body Image with Ambition. And so the article was critiquing Serena's physique in comparison to other women on the tour. Mm-hmm. And here's a quote. So the the writer is Ben Rothenberg, and he said, Williams has large biceps and a mold-breaking muscular frame, which packs the power and athleticism that have dominated women's tennis for years. Her rivals could try to emulate her physique, but most of them choose not to. So, so we have that, and then we also know that some of Serena's female and male peers in the field have even stuffed their shirts and pants to quote-unquote ape her on the court. So what's this about? I mean, even within the world of ath- athletics, you have this this criticism of her body, this this intense competition between other women in tennis
3: (laughs) oh my gosh I mean I don't know what there is to say I feel like there are people who just don't understand you know they don't understand what what beauty is they don't understand these different shapes they don't understand like I don't know I think it honestly speaks to something a lot bigger in our society there are a lot of people who feel that way who feel like Because it's 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 a mockery what they're what they're saying and the fact that you even have to have this conversation where someone feels like they can put that in the New York Times you know like that is I I'm glad but at the same time it's just like they're just speaking to a larger group of people that are like wow this can exist I don't understand it
2: and I mean how about so she in in interviews about her body image. Engages in some ways with people that are doing fat shaming, um, but in also ways sort of tries to pivot and reframe the conversation. And that sort of leads me to a question Mm -hmm. that another one of our listeners had. She said, you know, for those of us who identify with the body positive movement, do you think that engaging with body shamers is beneficial? And so for you, I mean, I guess maybe first talk about a bit of maybe some criticism that you have received and Mm -hmm. feedback you'd received and whether or not
3: you engage with that why you make that choice. This is a big thing. A lot of people think, and there are people who feel really differently about this. Um, I think that it is a waste of time to put energy into fat shamers i felt this from the very beginning i think it's i mean it it can be said for any kind of movement if you empower the people who are trying to keep you down that is how they have power you can't just give into it over and over again i do think that there's some validity in like standing up and and giving an opposite opinion but i also think that the opposite opinion is born in your presentation so that if you are just living your life being proud just being yourself that is way more powerful than any argument that you could give a fat shamer because they're not their argument is based out of it's coming from a completely different perspective it's like trying to argue with someone who hates gay people about hating gay people you know like they're not going to understand until they see that their child is gay or until they see that their coworker is gay you have to lead by example um there are people who do not feel this way um one of my really close friends who's also a body positive yoga student and teacher she does not feel that way she's like always in the face of her fat shamers always talking to them always engaging and i've had so many people say like I mean, really hurtful things that to me are kind of pointless, because when you really break it down, you see that fat shaming is just the result of people not understanding and disliking something based out of hate. And if you're going to come from that place, I can't really there's nothing to argue with. There's no there's no conversation to be had. I think that my time is much better spent producing positive energy and trying to have a really good effect on people. You can't just feed into negativity to create positivity. It doesn't work that way.
1: What's remarkable to me is she's maybe the best female tennis player ever Mm -hmm. and possibly one of the best female athletes ever. Mm And what
3: people choose to have conversation about in social media media (laughs) is her body. That's that's the part that bothers me the most, because it's like, you know, I get that it's something different. But how are you rerouting the conversation so much? You know, it's like people just want to talk about I mean, it's. I'm trying to think of a really good example. Um oh, you know who it is. Um did y'all see Selma? The woman who directed that film. I was hey, reading an article. Yes. So she was talking about how whenever she does interviews about being a filmmaker, that nobody ever asks her the questions that they would ask other filmmakers. It's always about like, what's it like to be a black woman in Hollywood? They don't ask you about like what it means to direct this really dope film and what what were all of the steps that you, what were all the decisions that you made as a director. Everyone just belittles it to the uh, to the minority. And I think that if you are in the minority and if you're in a position where you can actually affect people that you have to be able to see beyond that and see beyond I think that's what Serena is doing it's like you address it as far as you can address it you address what people say yeah okay someone said this about me and then you immediately reroute the conversation because the most important thing is to be able to actually have an effect on other people that's my thought ultimately it's like if I post a picture of myself on the internet in my underwear and I get a bunch of negative, like, weird response from it, there are people who saw a fat girl in her underwear. That's important. You know, like, that, even if that's all that they get from it, that's the most important thing. It's not necessarily about, like, starting a fight with those people or, like, like I need to make your opinion different. No. You lead by example. Lead by being strong, being present in your life. So I got a lot of respect for her for that. I don't know if a lot of, I don't know if. I don't know if everyone feel that way but I mean I just think that if you're when you have a platform you can't just let it go because you disagree with what someone else the angle that someone wants to take because they're always going to take the more sordid route mm-hmm. always
1: well, let's pivot to the music industry. Um, if I understand correctly, you're a fan of Beyonce. <laughs>
3: oh. As we are as I well. Was like, are there the people show? that are not fans of Beyonce? That's a good <laughs> litmus test. Like right. You don't like Beyonce? I don't know you. So we wanted to talk a
1: little bit about Beyonce and mm-hmm. Nicki Minaj. And you even, mm-hmm. you were excited about that. You also oh, wanted yeah. to speak about Amber Rose, too. And oh, what yeah. I have been struck by in the last year or two with Beyonce is that she has fully embraced the notion of being a feminist. It's mm-hmm. a part of her production. Oh, she... Yeah. Her, her her, stage self is that <laughs> of an empowered,
3: tenacious, powerful mm-hmm. woman. It's so important. Like, that's probably... There's a couple things that I think are like the, the key focal points of the of feminism like 2015. And it really has a lot to do with changing the dialogue around what it means to be a feminist. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, I was so afraid of that name. Like to say that you're a feminist. I mean, I mean, I don't even know what I thought, but it probably involved things. I mean, it just seemed like such a bad thing. It was like, oh, I don't want to be a feminist. You know what I mean? And then whenever you get older and you see what injustice is, <laughs> and you see what imbalance looks like and you don't have to be a woman to see these things you you change your tune on it but then I look back and I'm like yeah but I still kind of see why people felt that way I see where these you know ideas come from and Beyonce is like yeah I see that too I see that we need to get rid of that you have to and she's using her platform to literally get rid of these negative stereotypes because if you have someone who has that level of uh, notoriety that level of like presence in other people's lives and she's calling herself a feminist like out there making it real doesn't care what people think about it that's huge i mean that's like you're gonna have a whole that's how we have this i don't know how much time you guys have spent around um undergrads and college i haven't really spent that much time (laughs) around them but the times that i have i'm like man y'all are out here being feminist as i was gonna use the f-bomb but i won't but being like so radical with it because they grew up in a generation with Beyonce having the word feminist thrown behind her. I mean, it's like, in it's men, women. Yeah, in <laughs> pink, you know, like, making it in a leotard, you know, like, claiming her body, claiming all this stuff, claiming her motherhood as well, and, like, being a working mother, showing that as a thing. I mean, granted, she's a working mother in a way that not everyone else is, but still, I mean, like, she's out here, she's a wife, she, and, the, I mean, I, I don't know. I just think that that is so important. And to me, So there's the whole thing about what it means to be a feminist. That's important. But then body reclamation is critical. And it's something that has not really been. I mean, it's like you see second wave feminists. They were not, I mean, body reclamation wasn't really what they were focused on. Like, you're focused on just reclaiming basic power. (laughs) Like, you're just trying to get, like, can we just get on the same level as everyone else? And then that's kind of, like, post-second wave, too. Everyone's like, we just need to get on the same page. So we spent, like, three to four decades just focusing on getting on the same page. So we're still not quite there yet, but we need to jump to the next step, which is that women cannot be topless. Like, you can't, you, if you have your breast exposed while you're, like, breastfeeding that's a problem for people. We need to focus on that. And women like Nicki Minaj, like Amber Rose, Beyonce, people who just like are out there with their bodies showing it, claiming it. It's, it's sexualizing to the point of desexualizing. And it's so important. It's like, To me, it's kind of like guerrilla feminism in a lot of ways because it's something that is not accepted by like second wave feminists at all. They're not, I feel like a lot of, um, you get a lot of women who are like, this is not helping feminism. This is not helping women. And I would argue that it's absolutely the the opposite and that, I don't know, they're doing really important work, in my eyes, really important work.
2: Well, let's talk about, I mean, so that, let's talk about Nicki Minaj in particular and and how complicated that can get because one of the, Examples that we wanted to talk about is there's a there was a recent sketch on the Ellen Show that I don't know if you saw where there are a bunch of actors posing. So it was about Nicki Minaj starting this new show and these actors were sort of posing as Nicki Minaj and her family and they all mm-hmm. had like enormous butts. So like the mom, the daughter, mm-hmm. um, the father, they can't even sit on the same couch. And the dog. <laughs> and the dog. And the dog. Right. So here we are. We have Nicki Minaj out in public mm-hmm. in her music videos, fully embracing her sexuality, and then. We have this parody of Nicki Minaj that's overly accentuating this thing and it's Mm -hmm. trying to make fun of, or sort of poke fun at something that she embraces but then it turns it into something totally different. And this author, at The Huffington Post, called it, um, you know, kind of a minstrel show.
3: She's yeah, I like, was going to say it's like blackface. Um, so, so,
2: yeah. So, so how, do, how do we navigate that um, world of women trying to reclaim their own sexuality and then people trying to, to comment on that?
3: I think you just can't worry about all of the dialogue because ultimately the, lar- the large scale effect is good. You know, like... I think even the fact that that idea came up in a sketch is really important because otherwise it just wouldn't. And we would continue it would continue to be this thing where it's like we can't talk about butt size or you can't make it. I mean, I don't know. I feel like making a joke about something and making a parody of it is it's sitting on that blade of going going a bad way and going a good way. And I would just hope that it tips to go the good way, because I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily see that as. 100% negative Hmm. I think that I think visibility is important enough where even if it doesn't always come in the right package it's not the package that activists would choose it doesn't mean that it's not an important piece of the puzzle Hmm. but I think that you have to be able to look at a movement kind of in the large scale to to come to that conclusion you have to come at it from a macro approach because obviously the immediate feeling would be like this can't be good, <laughs> like it's not good. I don't know, I mean, I think there's multiple sides to everything and I think that it's all really, really, really important. The most important thing is to just get people talking about it.
1: Well, we could okay. keep talking with you about pop culture <laughs> indefinitely, <laughs> but we're gonna cut to one more break. And don't when end. we come back, we're just gonna have a more general conversation about feminism.
3: No, don't end, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Welcome back to She and Her. We're here with yoga teacher, writer, and body positivity advocate Jessamine Stanley. So we're moving to our third section where we want to sort of reflect on the feminist movement more broadly. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about – so I was a women's studies major and sort of got schooled in these classic feminists over time. And one of the women that was really important in our training was Sojourner Truth, and she's an abolitionist and women's rights advocate who came out in um, the 1850s with this famous speech called Ain't I a Woman, where she talks about sort of all these things that she does, yet she's not still considered a woman. Part of it, a lot of it having to do with her race, but another part of it having to do with sort of these notions of what it means to be ladylike and what women are and aren't supposed to do. So I'm wondering if you can sort of talk about, you know, 150 years later, (laughs) post-sojourner truth, Ain't I a Woman? What are we still dealing with here about these issues of what it means to be ladylike, what women are supposed to do because they are women?
1: I'd like to add that one of the things that my grandfather always told me, and he meant this in the best of ways, but whenever I would go on a trip or whatever, he would always say,
3: remember to be a lady. Oh, my gosh. I mean, especially being Southern ladies, you know, there's so many additional rules that go along with that. I mean, I feel like, honestly, very little has changed if we look at it, you know, just looking at things with a a broad pen i really feel like it's essentially the same i mean you still see women that like have these really i mean th- ideas that i thought are archaic i mean about the way that we i mean just in the idea that you still need to get married regardless of if you're going to have a career regardless of whatever like you still should get married and have children that's still a thing you still have like d- like you would still defer to your husband to a certain degree i mean these are still very real ideas and i mean I've always felt like the problem with feminism is is other women and I think that that is no truer here than anywhere else that we just continue to feed into these things I mean it's it's me being okay whenever men my like male co-workers say something that's sexist to me you know and like, and then you just sort of let it go if someone makes a joke and if you let it go these things, these moments where we don't stand up for ourselves the moments where we don't because all it takes is saying you know you don't need to call me sweetheart. You don't need to, like, like. I don't need to act ladylike. All it takes is that kind of reclamation, but we don't do that. We just sit here and we're like, yes, sir, thank you, sir. I mean, and, and then it makes it sound kind of sad, but I think that if you actually accept the real starting point, you can make you can make greater strides it's Mm -hmm. different it's very different from us saying like things are great we're making so much progress and we're really not and I think that it does have a lot to do with these like just the smallest things that really make a bad impact so
1: I was at an event where an older man that I'd never met before called me little lady and sweetheart and I didn't say anything Mm -hmm. I mean I've never I've never confronted that I've been at clubs or bars mm-hmm. where men think it's okay to do things like that. Because it would come be up,
3: rude. Right. If you say you feel like it's rude. Right. Yeah.
1: So I, I wonder mm-hmm. if you have stories of where you have countered oh, that and what kind of reaction
3: you got. Today or this week or this month. Because honestly, <laughs> it happens to me all the time. And it's so – I always blame it on, like – I mean, I hate to keep coming back to this idea of being a Southern woman, but that there's just so many little things, especially in being polite, that – you don't, you don't want to offend someone. You don't want to, um, you know, you don't want to hurt their feelings or, I mean, oh, let me think of a really good one. There's just so many. I've had teachers who, especially if you get emotional, you know, and, they're, and maybe they're not anticipating that you're going to get emotional and and you're like apologizing for your emotions, apologizing for being a woman. And it just sits and sits and sits and then you don't even recognize that you're doing it. This is sort of off topic, but it's also on topic. So I'm going to tell it. Hopefully it's not going to seem too weird. When I was in teacher training, I was very closed off to the experience in yoga teacher training. I was very closed off to the experience because everyone was like, oh, it's going to be an incredible experience. And I was like, whatever. I'm jaded. I'm not going to get anything. I'm not going to get that level of emotion out of it. And the second week we did this partner exercise where we had to um, like physically put each other into poses. And I was a lot larger than the girl that I was working with. And so I kept apologizing and um, and she stopped me at one point and she was like you don't have to apologize for everything and I said oh I'm sorry I just I guess I'm <laughs> apologizing for existing and it just slipped out of my mouth so because me you're in teacher training you got a lot of emotions going on so like I, it just slipped out so easily and I was like do I really think that is that a thing and that idea is born out of this thing of like you're apologize I'm apologizing for existing it's something that women do all the time you apologize for not like inhabiting space in the way that you expect other people to expect you. I mean, it's just this crazy thing. So anyway, um, I said that and I was like, what? And then I just started crying and I couldn't stop crying. I cried for the rest of the practice. I went out to my car and cried. And it was so cathartic because actually recognizing that I apologize for everything. I feel like I'm not, wor- you know, it's when you actually accept it, you can, start to rebuild and you can start to create a new reality for yourself but if you don't accept that and most women do not accept these things you're just like oh i'm sorry i do blah, blah blah you know like you don't you don't actually get to the root of it but if you can get there which god only knows what it'll take to do it i mean <laughs> mine was the weirdest circumstance mm-hmm. but if you get there then you can see that You are actually strong and you are actually because the whole thing about feminism is trying to recognize that we're actually all equal. That's it. Like, it's not about women are better than men. It's just about that we're all equal. And it's trying to, even as someone who's called themselves a feminist, that I get far away from that. So just accepting where you really are can make such a difference, I think such a difference. Well, and
1: also... It sounds like considering where you really are, mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. taking a step back and getting that perspective, which absolutely I, we appreciate you being open and vulnerable mm-hmm. about, because that's one yeah. thing that I don't think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And if we're not talking about how we get to a point where we have a positive relationship with our bodies or with mm-hmm. where we see ourselves in relation to the rest of our universe,
3: then... You know, how are we going to get there? Exactly. How can how can you get there? If you say I mean, i um not to get too far off the point, but one of my biggest problems with the body positivity movement is that I encounter women, especially all the time who are like, yeah, I'm body positive. I love my body, blah, blah, but I can't show my shoulders. I can't show my thighs. I can't do anything. And it's like, how are you actually body positive? Like, I don't understand how you're getting there. And because you're not actually accepting the starting point, you don't actually accept that really you're not comfortable with yourself. Really or not And if you can get there And just be cool with it You know We avoid it Because it's not pretty If you accept What's not pretty Then you can make it beautiful But if you don't accept it You're just gonna sit over here Doing nothing Yeah all right. So sadly, we're going to have to wrap up. But to close
2: things out, I want to ask you, Jessmine Stanley, 2016, 2017, what's what's coming
3: down? Oh, the Oh, man. You know, <laughs> this is not what, what anyone would tell me to say, but I am so hopeful that by 2017, I'll get it together enough to put together a curvy athletic summit because there are so many athletic curvy people all over the world. Dude, like, ultra marathoners in Australia, like swimmers in England, and we need to all get together. So that's my like 2017 goal. I also have I have things that are going on that I can't necessarily talk about, but um, things I'm really excited about. I have been able to uh, have classes on Cody app, which is a training site that has all different kinds of classes. But my classes are like body positive, high level, high energy vinyasa classes and I have a couple of other plans coming out next year on Kodiap that I'm really excited about Um, a lot of different writing projects coming up that all of these things you can find out on my website jessamynstanley.com but um, I'm also going to be teaching in England and in the United Arab Emirates come spring so that's pretty exciting but really the thing that I'm most excited about is just continuing to have this connection with my students here in Durham the students that I have met like up down the east coast we're going doing this whole west coast tour in january i'm stoked to meet everybody that is like in california has been in the bay this whole time and they're like when are you coming to california i'm excited to like really bring this crazy like beautiful naked body positive yoga community to a larger scale and bring us all together in real life so that's what i'm excited about
1: that sounds great yeah well we're so happy that you came here tonight thank I'm you so again that y'all invited me for your time y'all can find jessamine on her website which you just mentioned also on twitter instagram and facebook and you can also find
2: us on all of those places as well <laughs> she and her radio so as always we're going to close out the program with music jessamine has submitted a few tracks of her own as have both me and sandra Um, And you all can check out that uh, playlist on our Spotify. It's called She Plus Her. She and Her is broadcast every Thursday at 6 p.m. on 104.7 WHUP. You can stream us live at WHUPFM.org. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. All of our episodes find their way there on Fridays. And we're always open to uh, topic and guest suggestions from any of y'all. So if you want Justin to come back, if you want to hear someone else, uh, please reach out to us. Yeah. And our theme music is produced by Cameron Laws and Sam Gerwick, And Anita
1: and I write and produce the show every week. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We'll see you next week.